hate these mics, man. Good morning. Um, yes, so uh, welcome uh, to kind of this new schedule that we have uh, for our Sunday morning services. And as you can see, there is room in here, um, and that was the design. That's the intention. Um, and so let's get busy, right? Uh, let's start reaching out to our friends, our family members, people who need the Lord, people who need comfort in the Lord. Um, but more so, um, though we love for people to invite people here, uh, we also understand that our chief calling is to take the Lord elsewhere, right? Um, um, to go um, and to bring uh, rest, to bring peace, to bring light, to bring Christ into the dark places of the world. And then if they come here, great. We would love for them to be a part of this community and this family um, and, and uh, um, you know, entertain the, the themes of discipleship and help them grow in Christ, because that's certainly a command as well in the scriptures. And so um, with all that said, also, if you're here, um, and this is kind of new for you, I want to just encourage you to just take advantage of the opportunity that it is. Um, after the first service, we kind of challenged our first service uh, attenders to just kind of go out into the Welcome Center and linger, right? Just have a cup of coffee with each other, uh, enjoy one another, welcome the new uh, or the second uh, uh, service attenders, and I present the same challenge to you. Uh, the Welcome Center is spread out. It's open. It's freshly painted, too, so for everybody who helped out with that, thank you. Um, but it's open, and it's open for you. Uh, to just enjoy one another, and then, you know, anybody in our next service who's going to come in, welcome them. You know, be there. Be a joyful uh, presence uh, for them as they come in. And so, um, this will be as good as you make it, right, as most things are. Um, and so, I encourage you to make it good, um, and we're going to enjoy what the Lord has for us uh, in this. And so, listen, I want to start this morning with just a few stories, and they're very different from each other, okay? So, the first story uh, that I recently heard was about a Christian man, and I want you to keep in mind that he was a Christian, but he lost his way uh, in his obsession with success and wealth with his career. And so um, it eventually got to the point of um, some financial mishandlings, um, tax evasion, other forms of fraud that landed him criminal charges in a prison sentence, right? Um, even, even as a believer, he kind of lost his way. And so in his despair, he sought the help of the church and pastor who he uh, had known, uh, through which, wonderfully, he found a rekindled relationship uh, with Jesus Christ, and then he went on to serve his prison sentence, uh, which is fascinating, right, that he went with the Lord, and he, he kind of considered it his mission, and so he went in, he dealt with all the expected pains and struggles that come with the tough environment of prison, um, but the Lord walked with him daily through it. Um, until the last day of his sentence came, and this friend all along the way, he had the, or this man, he uh, all along the way had this friend, this roommate, who watched him closely through the whole process. And the roommate noticed something interesting about this guy. And what the roommate noticed is what he articulated as a surprising peace that seemed to carry him during his time in prison. And so the roommate finally just questioned him on the last day of his sentence how? Why? What is this peace? What is this rest that you seem to have in such a tough environment? And the man was able to connect the dots and, and, and lead his roommate to saving faith in Jesus Christ on his last day of his prison sentence, which is a remarkable story, right? True story. Now, I want to tell you another story. It's very different, okay? Um, and I, I've known this story from a while because it comes from a pastor who recalls this story from his childhood. Um, and this pastor, um, his dad also a pastor, when he was just a teen, um, his church was going through some method changes and some growing pains, very similar to what FBN's going through now. 
And it led to some ruckus, of course. And it was uh, in the middle of a Wednesday night uh, gathering of, of believers, a Wednesday night service that this pastor, the dad of this young man, uh, of this teen, was punched in the face by a deacon on the stage in front of the church um, over the disagreement, right? Which is wild. I can't imagine that happening. Can you, Brett? No, he can't, right? Um, and so, I could add to these stories, right? Not, like, not that anything like that has happened to that extent necessarily, but in my time serving FBN over the last 15, 16 years, in my time growing up in church, I could add to stories of dilemmas and tensions and grudges and complaints and frustrations and full-on emotional outbursts and full-on fights over minor matters. Because this is what even the best church people give themselves to when opinionated passion takes over. And the, this is the reason why I share these stories. Because without the Lord's rest, even church can feel like a prison. In the Lord's rest, even prison can be a place for freedom. This is the power of Sabbath rest, of Sabbath peace that carries beyond any day or time or space or location, but resides in the Christian heart. This is the power. And this is the conflict in the context that we have here in Mark chapter 2. And so I want to invite uh, Briar Nevins, who's going to come up, and he's going to read our passage today. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Please pay attention, and if you have a copy of the scriptures and are able, would you stand in honor of reading God's, God's word this morning? Good morning. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Awesome. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, I hope you paid attention to that because different than how I normally do it, we're not going to take this just verse by verse, but we're going to kind of take it holistically from a, um, from, from a bird's eye view to a degree. And if you noticed, and I want to make sure I make mention of this, that in this story, Jesus and his disciples are accused of breaking the Mosaic law. But I want you to know that Jesus came to fulfill the, the law, not abolish it. Um, and, and what he did is no such thing. Him and his disciples did not breach the Mosaic law. I think it's important for us to understand that. Jesus didn't come to just flip the law upside down and just be a bullhead about it, right? But what he did abolish every step of the way were the human traditions that were added to the law. And so what we see here in this passage is Jesus preserve really the true nature of the original law while abolishing the human traditions that were added to it. Right Now, the Mosaic law, the law from Moses, what it forbade was the reaping and threshing for profit on the Sabbath, which is obviously not what they were doing, right? This is not what was going on in this passage. But what the Pharisees often did is they would take the law and then they would apply to it their own human tradition. So in this case, it would be, yes, the Mosaic law says no reaping or threshing on the Sabbath for profit. So why reap and thresh at all? 
And so that was the tradition that they added to it. No reaping, no threshing at all on the Sabbath, right? And so what God meant for freedom became oppressive. It became rigid, and it wasn't what God's standard was. And in fact, when we add to God's standards our own traditions in this way, what we do is exactly what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. Verse 13, he says, you nullify the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down. We actually erase the word of God. We nullify the word of God by replacing it with our own standards. And we do this often as Christians, don't we? We do this often. Um, We don't think of it in these terms, but it's still kind of what we do. I mean, you take any blurry subject, right, in the scriptures, anything where people could be opinionated about it, and, and the final line in the scriptures doesn't seem totally clear. Issues of modesty, for example, Tattoos, that's a fun one. Church service times even. Music styles, worship styles, worship habits during the pandemic. Man, I wish I could go back and just race two years of judgment calls I made about people just because of the way that they worship God during that time. Because we were just a bunch of immature people navigating a, a world that we had never been in. And myself, plus so many, were just so pompous and arrogant in the way that we navigated as if we were experts on the matters of pandemic worship. We weren't. There's so much that I regret saying and wish that I could take back from that. But you take any blurry thing, non-essential theological issues are a big one. And what we like to do is start making judgment calls on other people, spiritual judgment calls, not because of any overt sin, not because of any non-biblical understanding, but because they don't navigate it like we do, because they don't come to the same conclusion that we do. If God's standard doesn't seem clear, what what we are so quick to do is make up our own standard to fill in the gap and then hold people to it. And this is what it means to nullify God's word with our own tradition, Now, to be clear, yes, Christians have the right and freedom to be as traditional or as contemporary as they want, to have preferences, to enjoy some things more than other things in matters of worship and church and all of that kind of stuff. Like, that that is a freedom that we have. It's when we start prescribing these conditions of our freedom into lives of others, then, then we start adding burden to them. Our freedom comes at their freedom's cost. And then... Round and about, we become bound ourselves. No longer able to just enjoy and adore Christ freely. We are now focused more on everyone else's faith, comparing it to ours. Focused on what everyone else is doing. And if they aren't falling in line with with the way that I use my freedom and my traditions and the things I value most, then something must be wrong. It's a miserable way to live. It is enslavement. And maybe you've been there. I certainly have been there. Maybe you've been in this place. And what it looks like is living from just disappointment to disappointment. Frustration to frustration. Pettiness to pettiness. Complaint to complaint. We become slaves. Dulled and desensitized to the joy and peace and freedom of Christ if we know him at all. It's nitpicky Christianity. And it's Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. This is what he's talking about. He says, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. All of the laws and all the traditions, these are no longer reasons for people to judge you for. Not even the Sabbath day. It's very interesting, isn't it? These are all things that God has already fulfilled in the work of Jesus Christ. They are not matters to judge other people on anymore. 
You have the freedom to do what you want to do in these regards, to be as rigid in your observance of anything, but you can't prescribe it to other people, right? Under the new covenant of grace by Jesus Christ, we don't have that anymore, and they shouldn't have had it then, probably. So yes, even the Sabbath day itself is no longer something we hold as law, as New Testament Christians. And here's a few notes about the Sabbath that might be helpful for us as we navigate passages like Mark chapter 2 and, and others that talk about the Sabbath. The first is this, Sabbath means rest. And it's not more than that, right? It just means rest, to repose, to step back. And it was to have as much physical merit as it did uh, spiritual merit. This is, it's just, it's just rest, to put your feet up. It's modeled by God himself at creation when he rested on the seventh day. Our God who needs no rest, right? He rested. And he, he gave us a model of this idea of the seventh day rest, right? This, this time where we just take a rest. And so it was, though it wasn't established as a law or command, it became law in Exodus chapter 16 and Exodus chapter 20 where it's listed in the Ten Commandments. It became this command for the Jews, bearing as much, like I said, physical merit as it did spiritual, a rest from work and labor. And I want you to think about the Jews, right? How gracious is God to say one day out of your week, you are going to rest because for 400 years, you, don't, you haven't known what rest meant. For 400 years, you've been in bondage and in slavery. And so now I'm going to make you take one day of rest, that's gracious, isn't it? That's good. That's very kind of God to expect that of his people. It's the opposite of what it became, but it's very kind. So to this day, Sabbath is recognized by, by Orthodox Jews as the seventh day, Saturday, right? Technically, it's Friday night into Saturday night. That's their, that's their calendar, and I say all this to say this, there's one common misconception that Christians make, and that's to associate Jewish Sabbath that was ordained and, and called for the Jewish people to mistake that as Christian Sunday worship. They're not the same thing. They're actually not the same thing. We gather on Sundays for different reasons. We gather on Sundays because that's the tradition of the early church. That's the tradition of the disciples, and that's the model that we see in the book of Acts, and we gather for teaching, we gather for fellowship on the day of the week that Jesus rose from the grave, which is the first day of the week, Sunday, not Saturday, right? So what we have here is a wonderful gathering of God's people because God has commanded us to, uh, to fellowship and to gather and to be together. But this is not to be mistaken as this uh, a commanded Sabbath rest. And we are not to hold each other to that or else we, we, become, we become like the Pharisees, right? So-and-so wasn't at church today. I wonder what's wrong with his life and his family, you know? We, we don't have that right anymore. That's not a thing we do because we have the grace of Jesus Christ. In fact, once the church started in Acts, the formal observance of the Sabbath day is not found in the New Testament. And this is because Jesus has fulfilled it. He's fulfilled it, and even more so, and please listen, this is so important. This is also because the goodness and the spirit and the nature of the Holy Sabbath rest and peace is now not bound to day and time and location. It is infused into your daily walk with Jesus Christ. Everything that is good about the Sabbath can be found in your everyday. And that's the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what he's given us. 
Yes, it is still good to give your body a break. In fact, all science and physiological data and and spiritual well-being kind of depends on that, right? We need a break. God has created us with that. And we need focused times of worship and prayer and teaching and community. Absolutely, we need that. That is the charge of the New Testament. But as soon as we start narrowing any of these things down to a specific day or time or location, we become like the Pharisees. Anytime we narrow it down and start making judgment calls on everybody else for not doing it how we do it, we become like the Pharisees. And so please listen. These are three hugely important points I want to make on this. And the first is this. Because of Jesus Christ, every day is a day of worship. In fact, if now is the only time you worship, something's wrong with your spiritual life. Every day is a day for worship because of what Jesus has done. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Everywhere your body is has worship potential. Everywhere your mind and your heart is, it has worship potential. Because this is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's not bound anymore. It can be in every circumstance, in every place in life. The second thing I want to say is this. Not only because of Jesus Christ do we have every day a day of worship, but we also have every day a day of spiritual peace and rest. This can be a daily experience. It was Paul's prayer to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And he says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that life is going to be very easy. In fact, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my time in ministry is when people go through the grimiest and toughest and harshest circumstances that life can throw to them, and as their body may bear the consequences of grief, their spirit is fortified in the hope of Jesus Christ. They trust in the Lord's hand in all things. They trust in his sovereign purposes. They trust in the work of Jesus Christ and of the gospel to bring good out of even the worst things. It's a beautiful sight when, people's, when people go through very harsh realities in this world and yet their rest and their peace and God is not broken. So because of Jesus Christ, we have every day a day of worship and every day a day of spiritual peace and rest But listen, not only that, every day, because of what Jesus Christ has done, every day is holy. Every day has holy potential, right? In Romans chapter 14, verse 5, it says, one person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one fully be convinced in his own mind. Which means, yes, you have the right to, be, to have a rigid Sabbath for your family on a Saturday. Like, that's totally your right. You can do that as your family. You, can, you have the right to see one day as more important than another day, for one day to be especially important in regards to worship and prayer than another day. But everybody else has the right to just treat them all the same as well. Why? Because all of these little nitpicky barriers, God's already broken down. He's fulfilled it in Jesus Christ, which means you do whatever you are most convinced of based on your relationship with God, what works for your family, what works for your own heart. You have the freedom to do it because he's broken down all the barriers. Right? Nothing is in the way of those things. And so one person judges one way, another person judges one way. That's fine. Just be convinced in what you do. That's the freedom that we have. Every day has holy potential. 
Now listen, Sundays, even personally, I, I, I truly believe that Sundays are a great day to carve out for worship and for gathering together. Our culture actually allows Sunday to be a part of the weekend, which is great because not everywhere in the world has that. A lot of places in the world, it's, it's uh, Friday and Saturday is the weekend. Sunday's a work day, right? But this is something that our culture permits for us. And so we're grateful for it and we use it. It fits most people. Not only that, it is the day that the Lord decided to rise from the grave, right? It is resurrection day of the week. And so, yeah, we make special effort in our, in our worship and in our gathering on this day. But please do not mistake these wood floors to be more holy than any other ground you ever walk on. Please do not mistake uh, um, your Sunday conversations and your gathering to be any more holy than any conversation that you have with any coworker or, or grumpy classmate who doesn't know the Lord. Please don't mistake these bricks and mortar and this wood and this metal as the house of the Lord. If it is, then we should be ashamed because there's a ton of surfaces in here that haven't been painted in years, right? If this was the house of the Lord, we would take extra care of it. But that's not the point, because God doesn't care about our special effort towards material things. The only thing in this room that is eternal is you. And God's holiness resides in you. You are the only thing that is holy in this room, in this time, in this location. You are his bride. You are his temple. You are the church. You are the only thing that is holy. And it's pretty bizarre to me, actually, that people seem to have so much more care and respect and reverence for bricks and mortar than they do for each other. So wherever you go, whatever you do, whoever you talk to, it all has holiness and glory potential because it goes in you, because his spirit resides in you, not this chair and not this hour. His holiness is in you. And anything that you do, anything that you embark on can be holy and can be glorified and it can reveal the wondrous nature of Jesus Christ if we don't hinder it. But that's the issue. We hinder it. We hinder it by choosing sin, by choosing fear, by people-pleasing and world-chasing and and chasing self-glory and anything else really that is proven to veil Jesus' salvation in our hearts and souls. What we have in this passage, Jesus kind of reminds the Pharisees of the true nature of Sabbath, which was not um, um, rigid like restriction, but was provision and nourishment, right? And he tells the story from 1 Samuel about how, how David and his men are traveling and they are starving, they're hungry. And so the best option they have is to eat the bread of the presence in the temple, which is only reserved for the priests, And yet David and Abiathar, the high priest, are able to come to conclusion that Sabbath, really, it's more important for you to have this bread and to be sustained than for me to throw some rule book at you and watch your men starve to death. That's what the Pharisees were doing, but that's not what the conclusion was for them because the nature and the heart of Sabbath is rest, nourishment. That's what they needed in the moment. And so in that moment, the law doesn't really matter. Because the nature of Sabbath is rest, and that's what they needed, and that's what they got. And it's after he tells that story that he goes on to say two wonderfully profound things. The first one in verse 27, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God did not create the Sabbath or any command for the purpose of bondage and burden, but for peace and for rest and for nourishment. 
And if for you, pursuing the Lord looks like bondage and burden, then you're doing it terribly wrong. Your obligations and your duties and your ways of worshiping the Lord have become detached from his grace and his beauty. And you don't see him as beautiful anymore. You just see him as someone who is useful. And so your worship's off because Sabbath was not given for you nor against it. It was given for you. It wasn't given against you and it wasn't given over you. So God's commands are not given so we can appease him, but, but so that we can have peace in him. This is the heart and this is the nature of, of Sabbath rest. And then in verse 28, he goes on and he says, so then the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You're not. The Pharisees tried to be, but they were not. I am not. The disciples were not. And any time men have sought this honor, all it creates is burden. When Christ is acknowledged as Lord, all things have holy potential. Because Christ not only fulfills the law meant for peace, he is the provider of peace because he is peace and he is peace in you. You have it. So my question for all of FBN today is simply this. Have you found this peace and are you living in it? It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Do you have this peace that allows for rest and confidence even in a prison, even in a world set against you, even in the deepest and, and most painful storms and trials? What are the things in your life now that are distracting you from living in, in Sabbath rest and peace on a daily basis? What are the things that are robbing you of this? Could be financial hardship, loss or suffering of some kind, physical affliction maybe, some kind of family drama. It is the holidays after all. Changes at church. Maybe your own sin and rebellion. That's the leading of the pack for me. The times I am most unrested in my soul is when I have things that I know uh, uh, the Lord does not approve of, and yet I'm not confessing them of him. I'm not letting the gospel do its freeing work. And maybe you're here, and you have things that you've been, you've been holding or harboring for years and years and years, and you need to get it, give it up. After all, that's the nature of Christian freedom, right? Not to hold everybody else to our standard, but to just get over yourself, and you have the freedom to do that to get over yourself and not to just be scoping out what everybody else is doing all the time. So whatever is causing you rest or uh, unrest today, whatever is causing you stress, whatever is keeping your sleep away from you, I want to just gift you today with a moment and space for rest. And this is for you to see however you see fit. A time to pray, a time to finally confess something to the Lord that you've been avoiding for a long time. You've been harboring it, it's been killing your soul, and you need, to, you need to give it to the Lord today. Or maybe for you, you just need to read a, a comforting scripture. If you're here, maybe you're going through some relational tension. Maybe you need to send a text during this time to somebody and just text something kind to them and just kind of break the ice of a, of a very tense and stressful relationship. Maybe somebody just needs to hear something nice from you. Maybe you need to forgive someone. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe your hands still smell like turkey and you're tired of cooking, you're tired of family, you're tired, you just need five minutes to just be in your own head and you can use it for that as well. We're gonna play a video and there's gonna be some songs in it, and these songs are just purely scripture. You can just let those just be sung over you and just feel the Lord's peace in song and scripture form. And listen, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, 
then what an opportunity you have here in these few minutes to just, to just make that right, to find ultimate peace with your creator. Maybe you've had it here and there, but nothing's lasting because it's never been through Christ. Jesus is the only one he's, who's died for your sins, who endured the most painful experience to make a way for his peace to rule your heart. Confess your sins to him. Give him those things that you've been harboring, right? Talk to him as a traitor caught in the act talks to a king with the power to grant innocence. Talk to him as a prisoner on death row talks to a king who has the power to grant freedom. Confess those things to the Lord. Request his grace. Request his forgiveness. And you can do so knowing that God always responds to the humble heart with grace. His grace has your name on it. He is gracious and he is forgiving. He is that kind of king. And so what I want to do is just have a moment of rest with you uh, at this time. And you can use it however you see fit. And then we'll close in prayer following it.
Psalm 61, verses 1 through 4, it says, God, hear my cry, pay, pay attention to my prayer. I call to you from the ends of the earth when my heart is without strength. Lead me to a rock that is high above me, for you have been my ref a refuge for me, a strong tower in the face of the enemy. I will dwell in your tent forever and take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Let's pray. Our God, I pray uh, for anyone in here who uh, needs rest today. They've become detached or distracted or um, something's crept in that's caused a, um, just a lack of peace uh, in their experience with you and their pursuit of you and their experience with other people. God, I pray that today, um, though nothing seems to happen large in a moment, God, I pray that you would use today to kind of just start a rhythm and a pattern of rest and in FBN and us and anybody who, who so desperately needs it, God, that we would be led to the rock of Jesus Christ each and every day uh, in our times of, of stress and pain and chaos and the sleepless nights and the things that just seem to rob us, God, I pray for just rest in you, that Sabbath rest would not just be something that we, we practice, even though we have the freedom to do that, uh, to observe it and to take it seriously. Um, and God, I, 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 that, that's great. But I pray even more so that we would have that daily. God, that there would be a residing rest and peace and comfort in our confidence and trust in you that surpasses all understanding, that surpasses all physical pains and torments, God. So would you use that in us? And may the outflow of that be joy, uh, be grace to one another, 
be excitement about your gospel? God, so many people need to just know your peace and your rest, and so many people are not going to come here for it. And so you've charged us to go there, to go into the workplaces, to go into the world, to go into the dark spots, carrying your rest, your peace, trust in you. And God, those things shine so bright, and I pray that you would just use us as a, as a body for this purpose. And um, God, we, uh, we entrust this to you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for your beauty. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us. If anyone in here has not accepted him as, his Lord, as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today would be their day to know Christ and to know the peace that he offers. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You're dismissed. We love you guys.